This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. Taken literally, the parable of the talents is an important lesson for believers. How are we to manage the provision Yehovah gives to us? What does he expect us to do with it? Josh Tolley reminds us that we are to be the head and not the tail in this empowering message of end times and surviving economic collapse. Because it's the end of the sixth day, the sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live. Well, Shabbat Shalom to our fans. Welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. Did you know that there is a difference, a big difference, between being a slave and being a servant? And furthermore, as a servant, you are required to take risks with the talents the master has given you. It's an empowering and challenging message from Josh Tolley in the first of four episodes in a new series starting tonight, The Parable of the Talents. We'll get into that in just a few minutes after we take a look at the astronomically and agriculturally corrected biblical Hebrew calendar. We are on the third Shabbat of the ninth month, and now, please welcome my co-host, the one and only, Ted Clayton. Hello, Scott. Thank you for letting me on today. Yes, sir. Hope you had uh, a good week. We did, and boy, did we have a great Mission Monday. Yes, wow, it seemed like such a long time ago. That was Monday, and yeah. now we're uh, over it. Wow, yes, it was fun to do. It was, and ladies and gentlemen, I just want to say thank you, thank you once again for taking advantage of some great specials that we had here at A Rude Awakening. You know, once a year we do Mission Monday, and it's a, it's a great thing for you to be able to get Michael's resources at a tremendously discounted price. And once again, we just want to thank everybody for participating. And, and that is the mission behind Mission Monday. Now that That's you it. have these things, often two for one, or maybe That's you have right. a copy of something you've already got, now it's your mission to pass that on. Because, you, you know, Michael and this ministry, we can only go so far. You know people that are never gonna see this show, right? So you need to pass those things on to those folks. That is your mission. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And you know, speaking of a new mission, it's the first of the month, Scott. Yes. So we have a new love gift to offer this month. We do, and in addition to having Josh back, we love having Josh here. He oh, just yeah. has, just things that blow your mind as a Absolutely. believer, you know? Absolutely, and by the way, I wanna say a big thank you for Josh Tolley this month because he has done some excellent teachings for us uh, over the years, and this, ladies and gentlemen, is one of his best. This one actually had me talking to him, Ted, after going, to, uh, taking him back to the hotel after he yes. was done here, and he and I, I had a talk and I want you and him to have a talk too. Yes. Because this is important stuff. Mm -hmm. Business ownership for believers. This is a method that he has developed with his company called uh, Kingsbridge Brokers. Yes. And this is a great way for believers to get into owning businesses. Why? Because it's biblical. Right. Once you hear Josh talk about this, you're like, yeah, wait a minute. We're supposed to be the head, not the tail. How do we do that? This is how you do it. He has developed a system. Um, that shows you basically how to take the the uh, the ideas that the big conglomerates use yes. to buy up businesses yes. and uh, and basically 
be the head, not the tail of things. Absolutely. And be, and be able to help people. This is not about money. This is about helping other believers, helping folks who are down and out. Why? Because it's your job to do it as a believer, and this is how you can do it, have the provision to do it. It's a great a great thing to, to uh, take a look at, business ownership for believers. That is a gift to you from Michael. Yes. For donating $50 this month to this ministry. And ladies and gentlemen, it's a great teaching. You do not want to miss this. Uh, Josh yep. always does a great uh, teaching with these things, but there's a lot more. Scott. That's right. And first of all, you won't see this anywhere. No. This is not on the app. Nope. This is not anywhere online. The, the, gift, the love gift is the only way you can see this. That's and right. yes, to your point, Ted, for a gift of $100 or more, you will get this, and you will also get this beautiful, uh, it's a temple menorah pendant. It is the, a replica of something that was found that dates back to the 7th century. Wow. And it, it depicts the, uh, the, the Torah, mm -hmm. the a shofar, and the menorah, as they were in the temple. It's super cool. It's something you can uh, actually wear or you can display it in your home and it's a beautiful thing to have uh, to share your faith. And, and I will tell you, ladies and gentlemen, that is the key right there. The key is to have something like that that you can display or wear and show and it'll start a conversation. And that's you've heard me say that probably a thousand times on the show is you always have to start that conversation uh, with your faith to other folks, and that is a great way to have that conversation starter. It's just great. And if, but I tell you, Scott, this next this, item, yeah. this is it. I mean, and ladies and gentlemen, nowhere else can you get this particular item than right here at a Rude Awakening. That's true. I mean, not even you know, it's not like we just put our our logo at the bottom of this. We have yeah. this custom made right. with I am the light of the world. Uh, he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Of course, this is great for Hanukkah, right? right. It's Yeshua's words. Uh, and by the way, Yeshua is represented in the menorah. That's right. He is the light of the world, That's which it. is what the menorah uh, supplied to us. So this is a frosted table lamp. And look how nice it looks, ladies and gentlemen. That's when a you, great when you When you uh, turn this lamp on and see all the lighting that's within it, and I'm sure you can see that right now, you'll see how just absolutely gorgeous this is. And it's exclusive to partners of A Rude Awakening. So you could get this now for a gift of $300 or more. That's correct, yep. And ladies and gentlemen, you're gonna want this to display proudly in your home because this is absolutely one of the most beautiful items that we've had as a resource here at A Rude Awakening. Now, Ted, you were saying earlier how we really appreciate folks shopping Mission Monday mm -hmm. and actually anything people get from us throughout the year helps this ministry. That's why we have absolutely. a store, that's why we have ways to donate, that's why we have the love gift. Any way that you can you know, donate to this ministry and get something for it, I mean, why not? You might as well. Sure. Uh, we really appreciate that, and especially at the end of the year, because as of December 31st, we make decisions for 2024. How much are we gonna do? How much can we do? And that all depends on what's in the bank account on that date. That's right. Scott, this is the most important time of the year for giving at A Root Awakening. Ladies and gentlemen, we need your help. Uh, throughout the year, we have done so many philanthropic things. We have, especially at the, at, at the beginning of October 7th, when the carnage took place in Israel, we had a huge fundraising campaign for the families uh, that uh, had lost loved ones and that had lost uh, homes and uh, just, just so unbelievable the carnage that took place in Israel at that time that we stopped all fundraising for the ministry and said we have to point exclusively 
toward Israel. We have to help our brothers and sisters who are in dire need. But now, a rude awakening is in need, ladies and gentlemen, and we need your help at the end of the year more than at any other time of the year. Right now, we're in our end of year giving campaign, and ladies and gentlemen, this is the time of year that allows us to plan for 2024, allows us to have our initiatives that we're gonna put forth. This past year, some of the initiatives that we were able to do was to put the Chronological Gospels in Spanish for people in the Spanish-speaking world. A second edition of Michael's Chronological Gospels that had even more uh, information in it and also a new study guide to go along with it. But more importantly than anything else was helping the people of Israel. And ladies and gentlemen, right now is the planning time. Right now is the time to take that mustard seed that you have and help a rude awakening move forward. Michael and I just greatly appreciate every penny that comes into a rude awakening that allows us to spread the gospel of truth to the entire world. And this year, Scott, we have something new. We're gonna put out an annual report yes. this year that just shows some of the things that A Rude Awakening has been able to do this year that you have helped do. You're the ones that make this ministry happen. As Michael has said many, many times, we're just the hands, but you're the people that make it happen. And ladies and gentlemen, we want you to know how much we appreciate you, how much uh, we have just, I mean, in my letter that you'll probably start receiving around December 10th or through December 15th, in it I say, you know, there is a point in time where, you know, we've had ups and we've had downs in this year. And you've always come through for us. And ladies and gentlemen, we need you now more than ever. If Michael was sitting right here, right now, he would say the exact same thing I'm saying. He would say, we sit on the knife's edge every year to be able to take the gospel to all the kingdom. And right now, ladies and gentlemen, we need your help more than ever to make those initiatives happen. You know, I wish we didn't have to fundraise, Scott. I wish that uh, we would have a benefactor out there that would just, you know, put a million dollars down here and we never would have to rent a, I mean, we never would have to raise another dime in the year and be able to do stuff. But it's just not, it's just not what's happening right now. And we know that God works through you and we appreciate you so much for helping this ministry and doing the, the work of the kingdom through your giving. And, and you know, Scott, realistically, you can give to the government at this time of year with your taxes or you can give to an organization like A Root Awakening. And we would just ask everyone to prayerfully consider giving to A Root Awakening this year uh, and not have to worry about doing those taxes, but do them to us because we'll, we won't be spending you know, $40,000 on a toilet. We'll be actually making something uh, and taking the gospel to the world and turning lives. Ladies and gentlemen, you just have no idea how many lives have been changed through the ministry of Root Awakening and your sacrificial giving. All right, thank you, Ted, appreciate that. Mm -hmm. All right, how are we to manage the provision Yehovah gives to us? What does he expect us to do with it? Josh Tolley reminds us that we are the head and not the tail in the first episode of The Parable of the Talents. Stay tuned for The Kiddish with Michael, next.
buying businesses is often perceived as something reserved for the worldly rich. But that's not true. In fact, it's not biblical. And it's more attainable than you think. Small business ownership worldwide employ way more people than big corporations, have a much larger economic impact than large corporations. Not only do we need to understand that and appreciate it, but we got to get God's people owning them. In Business Ownership for Believers, Josh Tolley shows you how to scale the acquisitional wealth strategy of multinational companies to something you can use right now. It's simple, it's achievable, and you may be surprised at the creative ways you can do it. This teaching is not available anywhere online, but we'll give it to you as our thanks for supporting A Rude Awakening International. When you donate $50 as a love gift to this ministry in December, we'll send you Business Ownership for Believers with Josh Tolley on DVD or Blu-ray. Donate $100 and we'll send you Business Ownership for Believers, plus a gold-plated replica pendant from the 7th century depicting a menorah, shofar, and Torah scroll. Donate $300 and we'll send you Business Ownership for Believers, the gold-plated replica pendant, and a frosted glass table lamp featuring Yeshua's words from John 8:12, I am the light of the world. These gifts are a limited time offer from Michael Rood to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. Thank you. Your donations ensure that important teachings like business ownership for believers keep coming from A Rude Awakening International. Use your smartphone to scan the QR code on your screen to donate now and receive these limited time gifts or call 888-766-3610 or get your gifts online with a donation at monthlylovegift.com. On the morning that the Passover lambs were selected, there were two loaves that were put on the wall of the temple. When the first one was removed, after that, no more leavened bread was eaten. When the second loaf was removed, then all of the leavened bread in the land of Israel was then burned because the Feast of Unleavened Bread was going to commence at sunset that evening. The night before, Yeshua took Artos, he took leavened bread, and he blessed the Most High in the presence of his disciples, and he interpreted the Kadosh Mikra, the holy rehearsal that Melchizedek put in place with Abraham. Yeshua said the prayer of the Melech Zadik, Baruch Atah Yehovah Eloheinu Melech HaAlam, Hamotzi Lechemim Haaretz. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, Yehovah, our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And he said, this represents my body, which is now broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Then Yeshua took the cup and he said, Baruch Atah, Yehovah, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Borei Prihagafen. Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, the King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And then he said, you take my cup, divide it among yourselves. I will not drink a sip of the fruit of the vine till I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. So as often as we do this now, we rehearse not only his death, but we rehearse that we will be at the marriage supper of the lamb and at the marriage supper of the lamb, he will take his cup and say, Laheim to life everlasting.
And until then, Shabbat Shalom. So if you are watching this on Shabbat, you may not be thinking about this today, but tomorrow you sure will, and the rest of the week you will be as well. Money, what do we do with money? There's a lot of concern right now about digital currency and world collapse, and if the dollar goes to zero, what do I do? And well, first of all, we have to ask the question, what really is money? I mean, is it, is it the paper in your hand? Is it what's in your bank account? Does the bank own it? You know, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> but we're gonna talk about money for this series, and I can think of no better person to have on this series than our very good friend, Josh Tolley. Welcome, Josh. Hey, Scott, nice to be with you, and in person this time. Yeah, right, not by Zoom like we yeah. always do. Thank you yeah. for making the trip up, even though they you know, canceled your flight and we had to come the next day, so yeah. that was a little odd, but that's okay. You know, that that's just a sign that whatever we're supposed to be talking about, we're supposed to be talking about. Whenever. Whenever you're on your path to good information or righteousness, something will always get in your way. But when you're on your way to sin, notice how your car never breaks down. So <laughs> we're supposed to be talking about this topic today. Well, very good. Now, I, speaking of things getting in your way, so, yeah. you know, a lot of people are, you know, all of us included. I mean, me, and, me too. You know, we, we put stuff, we put money away. We're going to save for a rainy day, that type of thing. And mm -hmm. do we want to invest? Well, we're not so sure about that. We've talked about that before with we have. entrepreneurial stuff. And, and we're going to get into that on this series as well. But, um, you know, a lot of people are looking at the digital currency. They're looking at mm -hmm. FedNow, which is now in, in, you know, well along its way. And uh, that leads to the central bank digital currency, CBDC, and people are worried about, well, if the dollar goes to zero, what happens? Right. And so we're gonna talk about all this, but you had a very good point. It says, you know, at first we need to say, what is money? Right, yeah, I, I think a lot of uh, panic is, is created by a lack of information. And that's always true, hurricane watches, everything. Everything, panic is created by a lack of information. So whenever I talk about this topic with people, I like to start with what is money anyway? And we look at money as this thing that we're after and, and it's, it's, it's basically the goal. It's not, money just represents something else. Money represents the exchange that was already made and profit is just the leftover exchange that you get to keep. And we keep that in the form of money. Whether that's profit from working at your job or selling a glass of water, that takes the form of money. And money is just the medium of exchange. So if we go back in history, money took a lot of different forms. Obviously we know coinage, gold, silver coins, stuff like that. But even like tally sticks, if you've ever heard the expression, let's tally that up for you. Yeah. Well, what would happen is that the castle, the king, would create a custom stick and that stick had a representative value. He would then cut that stick in half, half of the stick would stay in the castle keep, and then once a year or once every six months, everybody would get their sticks together, match them up so they know you weren't fraudulent, and then they would give you that in actual precious metals. But money has always been represented by mm. something else. I remember when I was in middle school, it was represented by baseball cards and fruit roll-ups. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or if, if you know, there, there's some more nefarious versions of what, what money can be too. But we really just have to say, okay, money is just the medium of exchange. Now, now that we know that, what happens from this point forward with what affects that medium? Hmm. So what do we do with that medium? So, so with this fear yeah. that 
you know, there's all this talk of, well, the dollar is going to go to zero. And so, you know, lots of believers, you know, my, myself included, I don't want to be in that system. I see it leading into the mark of the beast, and everybody right. can have their own opinion about that. But if you don't want to be in that system and you don't have that money, you know, then what? What? what it, do we need to fear that? Do we need to embrace that? I mean, where do we even? Well, you, I don't think you need to fear it, but I, I think we need to look at, at what was in that question or what's in that concern. Is money gonna go away? The reality is, yeah, at, at some point it will. Uh, will it become digitized? Yeah. But most people are already using a form of digital currency anyway. And it might not be blockchain-based and it might not be you know this, this new version of cryptocurrency that the Fed wants to release, but they're still using a digital currency. Most money today, Scott, is never printed. It's never minted. Hmm. It's just pixels on screens. So whoever says, I don't want to use a digital currency, better not pay rent this month because you're using it. And we just need to say, okay, what can affect it? So let's take that. If we say, okay, well, what happens if the money all goes away? So what? Something else will take its place. Guarantee it. And we can have what's issued by the Fed or this digital currency. Yep, that could take its place. But we have control of it too. Hmm. And that's, that's the part that, that really kind of confuses people and adds an element of this conversation that needs to be had. If we look at Bitcoin, whether we like it or not, we can get into that and if it's good or bad. But the reality is it existed. And it was so successful that it made all these central banks scared. Well, who issued it? Who used it? Who determined the value of it? We did. That's why they hated it. Mm. So wait a second, wait, wait, wait. You're telling me that even though their currency existed, we could have our own? Shut up. <laughs> well, that means no matter what they come up with, no matter what Klaus thinks is a great idea, referencing Klaus Schwab, whatever they think is a great idea is kind of irrelevant. Unless they get us to fear it so much, we have to take theirs. They can issue whatever they want, whatever they want. We can come up with our own. And we could get into the topic of, well, you know, are they gonna arrest us for it and all that sort of stuff. But just from this perspective so far, money is whatever we decide it is. Hmm. You and I could exchange water today. Great. And if we're both happy with that exchange, great. And we need to realize that power. Mm. So barter, like I've told a lot of people, so if you don't wanna be in that system, we're gonna have to create an alternative economy yeah. Right? Uh, and that involves whatever, different privacy coins, which are now hot in the uh, sure. digital space, all that type of thing. Uh, I've often said, get used to a black market. You know, that's what happens when, you know, this gets into, gets into when a country falls, right? Yeah. So you've, you've mentioned to me before the cameras came on, yeah. every time there's a fall, yeah. there, there is a certain rollout. And so maybe yeah. you could explain that. Well, uh, yeah, so a lot of times whenever I talk about this topic, People will say to me, Josh, but, but what, if, what if America falls? What if this is the crash? Well, aren't you the same person that a few months ago said, Josh, I, I fear the shadow state, the, the swamp, the shadow government, the deep state. Why would you not want that to fail? And it's, it's kind of like- <laughs> You can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways, right. <laughs> like on one side, we have all these Americans that are like, oh, they're gonna crash our economy. What happens to my dollar? And then at the same time, the people who issued the dollar are evil. So really we're acknowledging that that money that they issued was just a medium of exchange anyway. And every time an economy crashes, it is always rebuilt by entrepreneurs, every single time. 
Mm. Every single time. Even Adam and Eve coming out of the garden. They were entrepreneurs that rebuilt an entire new society. Noah, Moses, Rome, Greece, China. It doesn't matter. It's always rebuilt. And in a lot of cases, things get better. Let's just, mm. let's just take Rome, for example. Mm. I, I get it, Rome didn't fall in a day. But let's say Rome fell today. Who's happy tomorrow? The Roman baker, the Roman tailor, the Roman shopkeeper? Why? Because when Rome was around, that Roman legion was taking half of that bakery's bread, that Roman legion was taking half of that farmer's crop, that Roman legion was forcing that tailor to fix the uniforms. So once that Roman legion was no longer in the picture, did everybody just die? Did, when, when, when Rome fell, did every Italian just keel over dead? No, of course not. Right. Something else took its place. And that something else that took its place was built by entrepreneurs. Hmm. So I guess the lesson from that is, if you're worried about this, don't be. Get a skill that people are gonna need regardless of what happens. Is that it? Well, kind of. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying there's not something to worry about, right? But we have to face reality. Like, like the reality of mortality, we're all gonna die. I, I don't know if that comes as a shock to you, Scott, but <laughs> neither one of us are getting out of this thing alive, right? right? Like Michael says, I'll see you when the smoke clears. But just like we're gonna die, yes, the economy is gonna crash. And whatever's coming next is someday going to crash too. And just like if a doctor said, Scott, you know, you have 10 years to live, you would be sad, but you would act and operate with that knowledge. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Yes. Scott, I'm telling you, someday the economy's gonna crash. Scott, I am telling you that the powers that be, whatever they are, I'm not one of them, so I don't get invited, but the Illuminati or Bilderberg, <laughs> whatever, whoever they are, want to control you. Yep, now what? Now what? Are, are, are we just gonna sit here and cry about it? Are we gonna say, oh, woe is me? Or are we gonna say, okay, given what the information is, what can I do to at least enjoy the life I have spend time with the people that I, I, I enjoy time with and make the most out of whatever the opportunity is. And people will walk by an opportunity because they're fearful of taking the chance way more than take the chance and miss whatever the opportunity was. Like your, your odds of success go up when you actually do something compared <laughs> to do nothing because you're afraid to move. Yeah. Well, it's like that uh, parable of the talents. We'll talk about that later, but that, yeah. that, that plays into it. But uh, you know, Ted Clayton often says it too: is that fear and faith cannot live in the same space. They can't coexist, right? That is so, absolutely true. And, and like you just said, faith is doing something, taking that step, and doing something about it, right? Regardless of, of what's happening, right? And and we should be aware. We should know what the digital currency situation is. We should know what ESG and DEI are and how they impact your retirement. We should know all of those things but we shouldn't be paralyzed by them. And we should always know that if we have the ability to engage in a transaction, then we really control it anyway. Yeah. I remember I was, I was teaching a class of MBAs. Everybody in the room had an MBA already. And I asked a very simple question. What's the economy? Nobody had an answer. And I thought, well, that's kind of problematic because you guys have <laughs> masters in business. But if, if we look at what the economy is, it's not something that's good or bad in and of itself. It's a measurement. Like an alien couldn't land. An alien couldn't go, Scott, take me to your economy. There's nothing to show him. Right. The economy is just the measurement of what we're doing. That's it. It's the measurement of the exchange of goods or services for an agreed upon 
item of monetary value that represents the profit of those goods and services. That's a really long definition, but that's what it is. So when the news guy comes on the news and says, it's a bad economy, do you know who they measured to come up with that? Us. Mm. When he says it's a good economy, what'd they measure for that? Us. And yeah, we can look at GDP, we can look at does it technically you know, meet the definition of a recession even though Biden wanted to change it. But even that definition is based on our activity. So for a very real segment of that definition, we determine if it's good or bad anyway. Hmm. But let me take it one step further and say a bad economy is way better as a economic wealth generating timeframe than a good economy anyway. In a good economy, you have to compete with Klaus Schwab. You have to compete with BlackRock. Mm. In a bad economy, that's when we get to become David and we can take out Klaus Schwab, we can take out BlackRock, because now they're operating from a position of weakness where we're operating from a position of opportunity. Mm. So how does that work? Explain that a little more. Yeah, so let's say, let's say um, I was to start a construction company in a good economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a good economy, let's say you're big corporate construction, publicly traded company, uh, I would have to come up with millions of dollars to start my business, to buy bulldozers, cranes, hire people. Well, so now I'm already behind the eight ball because I don't have millions of dollars, which means I need investors or a ton of debt, right? Well, even beyond that, then I let's say I get my, my cranes and bulldozers, I now have to cut my prices low enough to compete with big corporate, which is hard to do because you're doing enough volume where you can offer a lower price. I also have to pay a high enough wage with high enough benefits to compete with you, which is hard to do because you have a lot more money, right? Right. Now let's switch it. Let's say you're the big corporate construction company, the economy's bad, construction jobs are slowing, and you have a $5 million Caterpillar bulldozer. Well, now you lease that out to me for the monthly payment. I hired the guy that you had to lay off that you could no longer afford, and I can now undercut your price at the the person that still needs the job being done, Hmm. because now you can't keep up because you have quarterly profits to report and debt to manage. So because the economy was bad, for no money down, I could compete with you. In the good economy, I would take millions of dollars in order to even come to the table. Hmm. You know, it's funny, we mentioned this too when we were talking about uh, these episodes, is what Klaus Schwab always says is, you will own nothing and be happy. And there's a good example. We always say, well, if, you know, if your enemy tells you what they're gonna do, believe them. Yeah, believe them. Right? So yeah, yeah, I will own nothing and be happy. Okay, instead of saying, instead of thinking, well, you're gonna take all my stuff and think that I'm gonna be happy about it, that is truly how you can own nothing. Right. And be happy. And be happy. Lease the machine, hire right. the guy. You didn't have to put any money down. Right. And I would take it one step further than become the person who's doing the leasing too. Hmm. If, if, if he's saying that we're all gonna live in a world where the vast majority of people own nothing and lease everything, then quickly before that happens, become one of the people who's gonna be doing the leasing. Hmm. And that, that brings up a, a bigger topic. It's this idea that everybody has to succeed in order for me to move forward. That's something that the masses whatever that is, but the masses have a hard time getting rid of. Hmm. They have this idea, oh, the economy's gonna be terrible. Oh, they're gonna try to control us. Oh, only 10% of the population gets to be successful. 90% of us have to fail. If that's true, I don't think it's necessarily 90%, but let's say it's true. Then what are you doing to get into the 10%? Hmm. What are you doing? Don't just say, oh, we're gonna die. Yep, yep, we're gonna die. 
But let's, let's take this beyond an economic scenario. Let's say there's a building on fire. Some people are gonna die. Does that mean you don't run? Right. It's, it's so foolish, our approach to this economic condition. We're not running hmm. because not everybody's gonna make it out, so I'm gonna freeze. No, no. Let me, let me take it one step further. When I flew out here to be with you, do you know what the first thing they showed us to do on the airplane before we even took off? Mm. Put your oxygen mask on first. first. Right. Don't worry about the people around you until your oxygen mask on first. Now, is that, is that American Airlines telling everybody to be greedy? Of course not. What they're saying is if you're dead, you're no use to the people around you anyway. So fix you, then start worrying about other people. But so many people are so focused on what's gonna happen to all of us that they don't realize, well, before you worry about all of us, worry about you, otherwise you're no good to the rest of us anyway. You know, that even goes as far as what health and what I do. So when we teach people about health, they're like, oh, well, you know, typically it's us. It's the dads who take care of mom, who take care of the kids, right. and make sure they have dental appointments and they're doing their thing and they're, they're getting exercise and everything. And we're not. Right. But. If you're the primary, whoever that is in the house, if you're the primary breadwinner and you're worried about that and just, I'll worry about this, you worry about being healthy, well, now, if I'm not healthy, I can't be the breadwinner. And exactly. everybody's out of luck. Exactly, that's exactly true. Hmm. So you, you, you have to say, okay, then what can I do to move myself forward you know, economically? And I get, I get that even on a show like Shabbat Night Live, that can be like a taboo topic. Matter of fact, years ago, you and I did a DVD series called Taboo. Yeah, we did. Um, because of that very issue. But it's also an important issue because of the impact that economies have. Hmm. It's not about, neither one of us are gonna say, okay, everybody, make sure you get a Ferrari. That's not what we're talking about. Right. We're talking about something that affects families, your ability to give, your ability to spend time with your kids, your ability to feed yourself. Did, did Joseph, when they were storing up grain, say, well, you know, we really shouldn't do this because that's just greedy. No, there's a purpose behind it. And as long as we're talking about what the purpose of the money is, what the action steps regarding money are, then it's a wonderful topic for a Shabbat. Yeah. And, and it's, it's really an end time message. It is. Because if we're supposed to be preparing and getting ready for the King of Kings to come and we've got to you know, manage this thing before he gets here, uh, it's, we need to know what we're doing. Yeah. And we need to be wise about these things. You know, wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Yep. And get ready for what is coming. And if he has given us that, it's almost like the parable of the talents, where we could use this for several analogies. But oh, yeah. if he has given us that knowledge and we do nothing with the knowledge, so people see this, they, sh they see you talking about these things right. and don't do anything. Well, now we've taken the talent and buried it in the ground, not done anything with it. Right. Yeah, and, and that's a great example. I, I think we're gonna use that a few times yeah. over the course of this conversation because it, it serves as a great example. But going back to this idea of what do we have to worry about, let's, 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 let's expose the monster, right? Remember when, when you were a kid and you're like, oh, daddy, there's a monster under my bed. Well, what'd you do? Turn on the lights and say, look, the monster isn't as big as you thought it was, right? Right. So let's look at this. Is there gonna be a digital currency? Yes. Does that mean automatically it's the mark of the beast? No, because the mark of the beast has to be blasphemous. That's part of its qualification. Does that mean that um, you should avoid using it altogether? 
Yeah, as much as possible. That's why we need to bring back cash, which is something we've talked about. Um, what about ESG? I hear, Josh, all about this ESG. What is it and why does it impact my retirement? Well, ESG, if you don't mind, ESG is something that because we don't understand how the economy works, they're actually using while we're all distracted by the digital currency. It stands for environmental, uh, environment, social, and, and governance. There's other words for it too, DEI, which is diversity, you know, environment inclusion and stuff. But basically it's regulation by proxy. So while everybody's worrying about what the currency looks like, not understanding what a currency is anyway, what they're actually doing is they're using things like ESG. And how this would work is let's say, and this is a real life example, I had a, a client this, this week say this story. Let's say you have a company and you want to borrow some money. My bank has to follow ESG rules and you have a tweet that I don't like. Well, the economic validity of your business is irrelevant, I can't give you that money. It's a That's social right. credit score. It's a social credit score. And everybody's talking about how it's happening in China, it's happening here too, mm. which is why we need to get a grasp of this topic so we can expose the monster and take control of it. All right, let's talk more about this after the break. Thank you very much for donating to Shabbat Night Live. You make it possible for Josh to be here, and I think you're gonna like what he has to say. So thank you in advance for your donations. We'll be right back. Hello, dear friends and partners of A Root Awakening International. I'm Ted Clayton. As the year comes to a close, we wanna take a moment to express our deepest gratitude for your unwavering support and partnership with Michael and A Root Awakening International. It's been a year filled with both challenges and blessings, and your commitment to our ministry has played a significant role in our continued growth and impact. Throughout the year, we have witnessed incredible transformations in the lives of countless individuals as they have come to understand the profound truths found in the scriptures and the teachings of Yeshua Messiah. Your generous contributions have made it possible for us to reach a global audience and share the message of redemption, restoration, and reconciliation. In 2023, we achieved several milestones, including renewed outreach and humanitarian efforts. Your support has allowed us to extend our ministry's reach to those in need in the land of Israel. Through our partnerships and initiatives, we have been able to provide assistance and support to those who have been impacted by the brutal attacks of October 7th. We will continue with your help to provide the much needed services. We created the first ever Spanish printed edition of the Chronological Gospels Bible. After intense translation and refining by our Spanish team, Michael's signature work is now in the hands of Spanish speaking believers across the globe. We also set up a special fund to support shipping of the book to less fortunate countries, which can cost as much as the book itself. We held transformative in-house events. Our annual Passover and Yom Teruah event at Rude Awakening International Headquarters in Charlotte brought together like-minded individuals to worship, study, and fellowship. These gatherings fostered a sense of community and a deeper understanding of our shared faith. We expanded our digital outreach we have reached millions of people worldwide through our online resources 
live streamed events, and podcasts. Helping believers connect with the roots of their faith and the timeless wisdom of the Bible. And of course, the second edition of the Chronological Gospels in English. The Chronological Gospels Bible is now better than ever, featuring larger print in both the regular and larger print versions, new, easier to navigate event index, new scripture index, new appendix of Hebrew names, words, and definitions, commentary updates, clarification and additions, timing updates in the book of the Revelation and refinements to Hebrew word definitions. And soon, we'll be changing the Chinese-speaking world with the first ever printed version of the Chronological Gospels in Chinese. With the world changing so rapidly, we're striving to bring you the very best speakers on timely issues that affect us all, from end-time prophecy unfolding before our eyes to personal preparedness tips. We are producing more high-quality video teachings, articles, and publications than ever before to explore the Messianic perspective on the Scriptures, deepening the understanding of Yahovah's Word. It's all very exciting, but none of this happens without you. We're eager to move forward and invite you to be a part of it. We ask that you prayerfully consider making an end-of-year gift to help us further our mission to reveal the truth of Messiah to the world and strengthen the faith of believers everywhere. Here are some of the ways you can contribute above and beyond your regular giving. How about a one-time donation? Your one-time gift, no matter the amount, will directly impact our ministry and outreach efforts. How about considering becoming an Ambassador Club member? Providing consistent support that enables us to plan for long-term growth and sustainability. Or legacy giving. If you're interested in leaving a lasting legacy, please contact us to explore planned giving options that align with your values and financial goals. Your financial support is essential, but we also covet your prayers. We believe that prayer is a powerful tool and can open the doors, change lives, and accomplish the impossible. To make a donation or learn more about giving options, please visit our website at arudawakening.tv forward slash give or contact our partner services team at 888-766-3610 or you can mail your donation to Arood Awakening International, P.O. Box 1559, Fort Mill, South Carolina. We are humbled and grateful for your dedication to the ministry of Arood Awakening International. Your partnership allows us to continue our mission of making the truth of the Messiah known to all the world. May the coming year bring you abundant blessings and joy, and may our shared journey in faith continue to grow and flourish. Thank you, and may God bless you and keep you. Thank you for your donations to Shabbat Night Live to make it all possible. Did you use Bitcoin? Just kidding. No, we're going to talk about <laughs> we're going to talk about currency, cash. What? 
And we, we talked about ESG, Josh, we're diving in all kinds of directions oh, with yeah, this, yeah, yeah. end time stuff and mark of the beast and this and that. Yeah. And we've talked about what is money right. and what is the economy. And now, uh, you know, we, we always hear of the government, every time the government prints more money, well, you're devaluing the dollar. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, that is true. But, you know, and, and it all looks like, oh, it's a big plan to bring in the digital dollar, just gonna make it go to zero and all that. We've already talked about that a little bit. Yeah. But I think people might find it ironic that we actually need cash in the, in the era of digital money. How does yeah. that work? Yeah, I, I would say we need cash more in the era of digital money. So when we go back and say, okay, well, what is cash? Let's say you um, raise chickens for eggs and I make furniture. Well, I need eggs way more often than you need furniture. So we create money, whether it's seashells, tulips, paper, whatever. So I don't have to travel around with a truckload of furniture in order to get a hotel room. And you don't have to sell four million eggs in order to buy a chair, right? Right. Well, now let's take that to a digital currency space. Like we said before the break, most money is already digital anyway. So by printing more money doesn't necessarily mean you're you're devaluing all of it. If they create digital currency, they're still devaluing it. Hmm. So uh, what I'm saying is it, it, it's not like, okay, only just printing it devalues it. Anything digital devalues it as well. And it actually devalues it faster because they can infinitely fractionalize that, that digital currency. That's why Bitcoin has a limited amount of creation, but it can go up in infinite value. Whereas a dollar is 100 pennies. No matter what, it's only 100 pennies. So... The reason why we should look at a digital or a, a paper or minted currency is because it actually slows down the devaluation hmm. compared to just saying, push a button and $20 trillion more is made. Literally, even if you had to take the time to print the money, it would still slow it down. G getting to your point, which we mentioned in the first half, was that there's a lot more digital money out there than there is actual Way cash. More. In way in hand. By multitudes of, of hundreds of percentages. Hmm. So when we look at the printed money, it slows down that inflationary aspect, especially if it's hmm. coinage and they really have to mint it as opposed to just print it. But let's take it one step further. Let's say uh, all your money is digital, you have no cash in your pocket, and all you do is swipe your card. What happens if China, with AI and quantum computing, hacks into Visa? and Visa cards don't work for the next 72 hours. What then? You can't get gas, you can't buy food, you're just gonna die? Like, like that's how attached we are to that little plastic thing in our pocket hmm. or the app on our phone. Whereas if we had cash, it doesn't matter if a country invades, the cash could still work for a while right. in, in, in order to survive. And to make that point even more clear, Let's take a look at a case where we say, okay, um, if, if China does invade or they, they do hack our system and the dollar goes away, we could instantly go to something else as cash. Instantly. We could use baseball cards again if we had to. Yep. We could use diapers, uh, any sort of, of material that could be measured and quantified, we can then replace with a cash-based system. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's always better to do it. And I would suggest that people should contact their senators, congressmen, whoever, and say, hey, we need to push for a bill that says whatever is created digitally by the Fed, half of that has to be minted in actual coinage too, as an offset just in case something does happen to the 
the digital sphere. And we see it all the time, all the time. Home Depot gets hacked, the Fed gets hacked, the Pentagon gets hacked. What happens if there's literally no more money and it's all just digits in our, in our app? We're gonna be up a crick. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So it's not necessarily that it's, that it's uh, the devaluation is not really the hard currency. It's digital is really what's happening here. Any issuance of additional currency is gonna devalue the currency that already exists. Mm. Any. But with that being said, it is harder to devalue if you actually have to make paper or mint metal than it is if we just push a button and 20 trillion more zeros just end up pixelated on the screen. Right. So sense. because it's harder, it slows down that process of devaluation. And this goes back a long time. Like we saw this in ancient times when they would melt down a coin, add in a little nickel, remint two coins, and devalue the money. Same thing is happening today. Hmm. Interesting, okay. So we need cash. Yeah. What about alternative economies? We've heard this, uh, this buzzword before. We gotta create an alternative economy because when this all goes one way, we wanna go the other. So we have to create the, the community over here to make that happen. So is that already happening in some places? Oh gosh, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and this is where a lot of, I guess, just traditional Western culture people have to wake up. There's always been alternative economies. Uh, you don't have a local drug dealer that advertises on Facebook, right? You don't have, <laughs> right. like, okay. the, the Amish have an existing economy that doesn't, you know, do you really think the Amish care if we went digital? Mm. They couldn't use it anyway. Right. So they would figure out a different way to make the economy work and they would still all be wealthy and they would still all be out of debt and they would still all be having great big large families. But a great example of this, Scott, is prison. Hmm. If you go to any prison in the world, there's entrepreneurship in there. There's an economy in there where somebody in there can get you a girly magazine, a candy bar, drugs, a cell phone somehow, and they are operating a, a self-sufficient economy under 24-hour guard in an eight-by-eight eight steel box. Hmm. So if, if we're fearful of what Klaus Schwab and his idiot friends might come up with, just remember that there's somebody who was dumb enough to get caught stealing a car that was left there on purpose, who can still create his own economy in a prison, I'm sure we can figure something out. Hmm. And we have to be able to have that confidence. We have to be able to say, yeah, you know what? They're gonna do what they're gonna do. But because this is Shabbat Night Live, let's take this a step further. We have God. And I, I love how, well, I, that's sarcastic, I don't love, but I love how when you have this conversation with faithful people, they panic on the economic issue and just leave God out of it. Right. Well, wait a second. God has sustained his people for a long time. I think he could handle Klaus Schwab. <laughs> so whatever they right. come up with, I'm sure he's gonna have a plan. I mean, he literally made quail show up and manna show up. Well, let's bring that example. So the Israelites, they leave Egypt, yeah. right? And, and we often say, well, yeah, you know, they, God will always take care of us. And so when they left Egypt, okay, I'm trying to compare the two here. So today we, we prep, we do all this stuff. Right. All the prepper, I mean, that's, I mean, we all do just to some degree, just so until we can figure out what's going on. Sure. But we, you know, even the Israelites, they didn't prep. Right. I mean, God was like, he showed them what was gonna happen. Here are all right. the plagues, it, the end's coming. And then, oh gosh, what do we do? You go inside, paint some lamb blood on the outside of your door, sit down, shut up, and hang on. Yeah. And, and yet, they escaped Egypt with what? Yes, so like, dude, man, Scott, that is such a great point. 
I'm the only economic guy who says dude, I swear. But, <laughs> but that is such a good point because I've, I've talked about this before, but you just brought up something I haven't really thought about. They knew it was coming. Yeah. They, like, we love to tell the Passover story and say, hey, do you know why the, the bread is unleavened? Because they had to just go now. Well, they knew it was coming. Moses said, hey, let my people go multiple times ago. Yeah. They just weren't ready for it. It, it. it wasn't God that didn't sustain them. They didn't prepare. And that's a huge element to this. They yeah. knew they were about to leave and they didn't prepare. And then it got to the point where he says, okay, we got to get to step in anyway. Let's just go. And not only did they just leave with whatever they had on their backs, but they looted Egypt. And that's part of the story that people forget. Mm -hmm. If money's not important, God didn't say, okay, money's not important. So as you leave, leave all your money here. No, he said, take all your money and theirs too. Yeah, loot this place. And then for 40 years, they engaged in trade out in the middle of the desert, and that sustained that entire nation. And then we ignore it and say, oh, entrepreneurship's not important. And man, whatever whatever God has to do to create economies, he will create economies. Absolutely. And, and not even like, I love the word you use, loot, because yeah, because the Egyptians deserve it. But, well, at least the Egyptian <laughs> government deserved it. But the, it was, in the Bible, we see the people just gave it to them. Right. So here, Get out of here. You're the source of our issue. Take it and right. leave. Right, and loot's <laughs> obviously an, a, yeah. an, an emphasis word. They didn't loot it, but you get the point. But even better, they could take the Egyptians too. Yeah. And yeah. that was what was so powerful about that. Not only did they take what the Egyptians gave them to leave, but they took some of the Egyptians also. And I think, I think when this crashes, and it's gonna happen, sorry, but when this crashes, it's gonna be a wake-up call to a lot of people who are not on the God side of the fence, mm -hmm. and they're gonna say, hey, you know what? I don't wanna stay here either. Can I come with you guys? You know, and that's happening even now in oh, a yeah. microcosm in the US with not even money-wise, but when we look at government and people who have maybe, you know, leaned one way and they see what this you know, current government is doing, they're going, oh, this is not good for me or my family and I've kind of supported these guys in the past. I'm gonna move to a red state. Right. And we see this influx of California coming to your state, you know, yes. to Texas. But it, it's- We should screen them on their way. Right. <laughs> but, <anyway>. <laughs> but they're the Egyptians, right? Right. These are the folks that, yes, we looked at it and go, oh, you don't think the same way I do, but they're turning our way because they're going, oh, yeah. you know what? Your way is looking better than my way, guys. Yeah. And look at how powerful some of these protests have been. Bud Light, Disney, uh, you know, name whoever you want to name. They're, North Face. North Face, All yeah. These guys, yeah. yeah. These, these boycotts are working because even though they control the dollar, they don't control the spending. Mm. And this is part of the thing that we need to realize, right? I, I get it, Klaus Schwab and all these people think of us as livestock, we're just cattle. But have you ever been to a ranch? And if you look at a cow, that cow's 1,200 stinking pounds. He's held in by a barbed wire fence that's held in by a nail. <laughs> if that cow walked left, that barbed wire fence is not actually going to stop him. That little bit of pain makes him think it's going to be too painful if I continue. Mm. But if he really kept walking, that pole and that fence would not stop that cow. And that gets even more emphasized when you put 300 million cows together. If 300 million cows said, no, Klaus, we're not gonna use it, guess what? 
there will be no digital currency tomorrow. But he has us so scared that we're going, oh no, we're going to have to use it. And then he gives it to us. Yep, this is what we're going to have to use. And then they tell us what to buy. Oh, I guess I just have to, stop it. We are the cattle inside the gate. Just walk left. Mm. He'll, they'll fall over. So what do we do? Okay, so that's a good point. So how do we resist? People may say, well, what am I going to do? How can I fight against that? I'm just going to be like lost in the shuffle when it all happens. So how do we resist? You have to start by saying, what's the goal? What's the purpose? Why are you here? And I know that sounds like really ethereal and big, but really you do because what happens, the reason you can scare sheep is because sheep don't know what the situation is. The reason you can scare cattle is because cattle don't know what the situation is. If cattle actually knew in two days, I'm gonna chop your head off, you don't think you'd try to run away? But he's like, okay, I'm just gonna sit here. Well, we're doing that same exact thing. Mm. So I have to first ask people, why are you here? What are you trying to accomplish before you die? What is it? Is it to work at the GM plant until you're you know, 65, that's the goal? So let's redefine the goal and then say, okay, if this is the goal, what do I actually need? And you'll quickly find out, wait a second, I don't need a pension. You'll quickly find out, wait a second, I don't need that or that or that. And everything you need all of a sudden starts to appear. And, and I know that sounds like, well, isn't that kind of against the topic of money? No, because money will pop into this too once we decide what the, the goal is and we start moving towards it. So let me give you a better example so it doesn't get all haywire here. Let's say your goal is to have a happy family and evangelize to the people around you. How much money does that take? Just enough to feed the family and there you go. live to the next day. There you go. And I put an example in one of my books. I met a guy in one of the Caribbean islands. I forget which one now, it's been forever. But I met a guy in the Caribbean islands who made $50 a day. And he lived in a shack and like literally put wood together shack. And he had a goat tied to a tree and a couple chickens. And he was happy. That guy was rich. That guy was rich. Meanwhile, you have like the, the CFO of some company who's on wife number four. His kids haven't talked to him in 20 years because they're all you know separated. He's got coronary disease because of stress. Way wealthier. Mm -hmm. So we have to stop saying, to the, to the farmer who wants to kill us, oh, please, farmer, show me what makes me happy, and start saying, well, you're just a farmer, I can run you over. Hmm, interesting. And, and that goes for, uh, I've heard that same analogy with an elephant too, right? So they can control an elephant. Right. Uh, he tra he's trained to think that everything tied to him is this huge chain that was once tied right. to him and he couldn't get away. Right. And you can hold him there with just a string. Or horses where they, they, right. they think they're looped up and you just drape the thing over there because he's tried it so many times and not got away, he'll just sit there. Yeah. Like it, it's true with everything. Look at, think about this. Have you ever seen a lion tamer? Mm -hmm. In a cage with lions. And somehow the lions fail to figure out Wait a second, we're stinking lions. That's why you've never been to a circus and saw trained wolves, because the wolves know better. Mm. Interesting, yeah. So we need to resist and do those things which are going to perpetuate our, our future. While understanding what the economy is and realizing it's us. We are the economy. Mm. We really are. Even if, even if they treat us like livestock, what farmer is rich without the livestock? Yeah. Like, it's just kind of a common sense, duh. So we have to start saying next, okay, now that we know that, what do we do with the wealth that we do create? Whether it's big or small, what do we do with it? And then, how do we create more of it? Because the more wealth we create is power that we're taking away from them. And I think that's the most overlooked 
part of this whole economic discussion. Hmm. It's the fact that we can have the power. It doesn't have to be all theirs. Right. Hmm. Right. And, and you know, and you think about going back to this Israelite analogy where they left with with all the gold and all this kind of thing. Not only was it enough to do trading, as you mentioned, but we have to think about this. What were all the stories in the Bible? They built the tabernacle. Right. This was covered in gold. That was covered in gold. Right. <laughs> it's like, how much right. gold did they have? And they, it certainly didn't belong to them as slaves. And, and, and God even says, who sits down to plan to build a tower? To, who doesn't sit down and, and count the cost first? Mm -hmm. They had budgets. Like, we, we, we love to think that we're, we're supposed to be economically stupid if we're believers. It's the exact opposite, which mm -hmm. is why other people who have a faith that is based on an economic model are so successful. Look at the, look at the Jewish community, right? Mm -hmm. Do you think the Jewish community cares if they come out with a digital dollar? Nah. Do you think the Islamic community cares if they come out with a, no. It doesn't matter, mm. because that economy is self-sufficient. The average dollar, and I learned this here at a Passover Michael did 10 years ago. The average Islamic dollar, 14 to, 13 to 14 times inside the Islamic community before it leaves and goes into the American population. Jewish is 10 to 12, the Christian dollar is zero. So don't complain about Klaus Schwab if you're also like, well, I wanna get prime because of free shipping. You're working against yourself. We have to get back to this place where we understand we create the economy he wants to control, and we're giving him the control. He didn't create the economy, we do. Mm. And that means getting a community around you. Don't, if you're the bone on your own, you are gonna be caught up like the cattle. Absolutely, absolutely. Because how, how, does, how does a lion kill the gazelle? Separated from the rest of the herd. Mm. And we're self-separating. We're self-separating. Whether that's through, well, I only communicate via social media now and I just you know sit at home, or we self-separate because, well, I don't wanna be part of the economic system, so I'm just gonna be a prepper over here on my own. Whatever it is, we self-separate. And we think that it's self-protection, but it's actually self-endangerment. Wow, uh, that's something we wanna maybe get into in the next episode too, is more about this. What do I need to have around me? And why is it important to not do that in the digital space when everything is going digital and everybody, we're all separated digitally, right? We're all sitting our, on our phones. All of us. Like even the Oculus thing where you're like, oh yeah. oh yeah, I'm playing golf with my buddy, but he's across the country. Yeah, it's a nice thought and it's, it's, it's false, but we, we, we make ourselves think it's real when really we just really need to get together yeah, we have to stop accepting synthetic success. Mm. Synthetic success comes in everything. It comes with digital dating. You're not really dating. <laughs> digital <laughs> you know, experiences playing golf. There's no substitute for in-person. That's, that, that's why the Bible says where two or more are gathered, not where two or more have Facebook posted about me. <laughs> Right, it's two or more are gathered together. There Let, I am. Let's talk more about that next week. That's great, we've opened up a can of worms and we'll open it more next week. So thank you for being here. Thank you for being here. Uh, this is Josh Tolley. We're talking about uh, the economy. What is money? How do believers play into this? How does it play into the end times? And what does faith have to do with all of this? We're gonna talk more next week. Until then, Shavuotov and have a good week. Shabbat Shalom. <laughs>